You're listening to End of the Line on WRIR 97.3 FM Richmond. End of the Line is an ongoing podcast about the pipeline struggles in Virginia and the Mid-Atlantic. I'm Whitney Whiting. When you have both your love of community and your love of place, community in Appalachia is what keeps us together. It's what gives us the backbone to resist. This is our final episode of season two. And before we pick up where we left off with episode 20, it's important to acknowledge some recent headlines. On Friday, July 27th, Judges in the 4th Circuit Court of Appeals revoked pipeline permits granted to Mountain Valley Pipeline by the Bureau of Land Management and the U.S. Forest Service. News outlets called it a blow to MVP. And, as an almost certain direct result of this news, EQT stocks had dropped nearly 10 percentage points by the close of market that day. Tammy Belinsky, an environmental lawyer representing several clients in the case against the U.S. Forest Service, told me more about why the ruling was so important. The basis for their challenge was the Forest Service's decision to amend their forest management plans in order to accommodate the pipeline. We challenged the Forest Service decision to amend the plan for multiple reasons. Two of the reasons that were successful in the appeal is the um, analysis of impacts to water resources. The Mountain Valley Pipeline, as your listeners probably already know, Mountain Valley Pipeline goes up and down the mountains. It goes, um, you know, it crosses the mountains going vertically up and down the slope. And then there's always creeks. In the three miles that it crosses the Jefferson National Forest, the pipeline impacts the New River, the James River, and the Roanoke River. So it's really an extraordinary place to put a pipeline. According to Tammy, the court took particular interest in their challenge of the Forest Service's sedimentation analysis for the pipeline, that is, how construction across steep slopes like that of Peters Mountain would impact the pristine streams and rivers below. But what does the decision mean for MVP? Well, you know, uh, I I don't know what the Forest Service is going to do. The the decision also affected the Bureau of Land Management's decision to grant the right-of-way. So they not only stripped the Forest Service's decision under the planning rules and the decision to amend the plan, but it also uh, stripped the right-of-way grant, which was done by the Bureau of Land Management. And so what does this mean to MVP? Well, it means that they can't construct on the National Forest because the court has vacated the decision from the Forest Service and vacated the decision from the Bureau of Land Management. So they can't construct on the National Forest. You know, so practically speaking, what are they doing building right up to the boundary of the National Forest? I, I don't I don't know. I can't I can't speak to this the, the sense of of a limited liability company uh, with parent companies or member companies 
that are whose uh, stocks are plummeting in the market. Um, I don't know why they're doing. I don't know why they're continuing to construct outside of the national forest, but they are. Um, and uh, I, my understanding is is that today they were constructing on the west side of Peters Mountain on private land at the base of Peters Mountain. And we know the National Forest is at the top of Peters Mountain. In the wake of this so-called victory from the Fourth Circuit Court of Appeals, pipeline opponents waited for another decision from the same panel of judges, this time on the water certification granted by the State Water Control Board. Opponents didn't have to wait long. On Wednesday, August 1st, the Fourth Circuit announced that they were upholding Virginia's decision to grant water certification to the MVP. We're going to use this final episode of Season 2 to explore a little further what winning really looks like and the connections between extractive industries and the resistance to it. In Episode 20, we met three young girls, Faith, Mabel, and Becca, each from three different counties in the so-called state of West Virginia. They were joined by two adult mentors who talked with them about community and what it's like to live with extractive industry as one of the dominant features of their lives. We don't do a lot to remember in general um, in our culture. And I think a lot of the systems that we talked about and Becca, your school is a great example, like how we actively forget or push down a certain history or a certain truth of history, right? So as a culture, we don't do a good job of remembering. But the people remember, like, you're going to remember, like, what your grandparents told. You're going to remember what your family experiences. Like, they can't take all of that out of us. We moved here in 1981, which... Um, I guess we're going on 40 years here. We have worked away and come back. We're teachers. So we, um, we went to Guam and we went to Alaska in order to um, provide a college education for our children. A teacher's salary here, perhaps you've heard recently, is not at the top of the country's list of salaries. Becky Crabtree lives at the base of Peters Mountain in Monroe County, West Virginia. In fact, as Tammy just mentioned, MVP continues their construction across her home, right below the Jefferson National Forest. Just this week, Becky made headlines of her own after she placed herself inside a blue 1971 Ford Pinto in the middle of MVP's construction site. I think the whole country is at a point where enough is enough on a variety of of subjects and controversial issues, and certainly the teachers were entitled to be valued more. And it, that movement is a spark, I believe, in West Virginia that we're just not going to take it anymore. I thought it was so beautiful during the teachers' strike that the teachers were wearing red bandanas, like you know, and you know when miners last did that during the mine wars, it was the 1920s. <laughs> You know, it was like a hundred years ago, and that memory is still there, you know. And that people wore them to the the court hearing in Monroe County. Oh, yeah, they did. <laughs> when they entered the Monroe County courtroom in March of 2018, 
TreeSit supporters from both sides of the West Virginia-Virginia border donned red bandanas as a visual symbol of their collective support for the TreeSitters. But Becky says the symbolism goes much deeper than that. Of course, we didn't know that that was going to happen when we got there, but a very active member of this group had cut up bandana strips for everybody to wear. But I know it's a nod to historic union unity. And the UMW, of course, with miners in danger on their knees with no benefits, the union did come in here. My husband's dad was one of those miners who was affected. The salaries went up, safety improved, and even in contemporary times, there's miners dying because um, corporate leaders did not provide the safety that they were supposed to. Um, red is the color that the teachers also used. Um, 55 in unity for the 55 counties. Red's a good color. The teacher strike made every West Virginian remember the history of West Virginia and how we are like historically one big union, kind of, um, and a democratic body. And so it was very inspiring for us. And it was like it, it rekindled the fire mm -hmm. in our body. Made us remember our roots, mm -hmm. our roots of resistance. It's shown that when the people come together, then the people can fight together mm -hmm. to get something done. So the teachers did it. So that means we could with the pipeline. One thing that I feel like I <clears throat> come up against a lot, you know, we get to a place in conversation and it almost always is, it turns out, well, it's always been like this, you know? Mm -hmm. And in some ways that, that I, I can't deny that. That is very much true. It's true here, it's true where I'm from, you know? It, you look at extraction, it was first the trees that we talked about, you know, then mm -hmm. it was the coal and now it's gas. And like, people remember that. Like, I certainly wasn't alive when those trees were cut, but like, collectively we carry that, we remember that. You know, we remember what our parents did and what our grandparents did. And Because we are West Virginians, we are familiar with the pillaging of the land. McDowell County is a great example of natural resources being taken, railroads being built, much like this pipeline, and then when it's all over, corporations have gotten all the profit they can get out. Um, look at what happens to the people left behind. And the, the drop in a bucket money that is given initially does not keep a culture alive. And um, McDowell is a county in grave trouble, um, economically, socially, because it was pillaged and now they're done. The coal companies are done. And that's, I can, I, feel like that may be in the future for Monroe County with this pipeline. Because the pipeline comes through and they give money to the Department of Education, they give money to 911, the streets, the cops and everybody else. They're buying their way through just like the coal operators did uh, in the early 1800s. The big coal companies came in and bought property for one dollar an acre. Thousands of acres of mineral right coal and stuff like that. And then they worked the people to death, uh, including my mother and my father. My father got his back broken in a coal mine 
Uh, he was a school teacher. He could make more money working in the coal mines. And uh, there was an article just last night I was watching about uh, the, the uh, radioactive uh, water in the coal fields in West Virginia and Tennessee and Kentucky. Um, and the, the terrific waste, well, we're, we're looking at that with this pipeline. The constant, very cyclical and habitual nature of extracting from Appalachia, of uh, bulldozing, literally and figuratively, over uh, poor rural folk is not by any means a new play in their book and not by any means unintentional. I would argue that all fossil fuel infrastructure is based on classism and racism, all of it, at any point. And that pipeline routes are a great example of that. Are, and also, as we're talking about the extraction of Appalachian folks, it's the same thing. It's racism and classism. Again, it's like, oh, we can get away with this. We can get away with totally pillaging this community and then leaving them behind. Despite the cyclical nature of exploitation, when it comes to the pipelines, some people in Appalachia are fighting back, just as they fought the practice of mountaintop removal by the coal industry, and just as many of their relatives fought coal companies for better wages and working conditions. Maury Johnson reasoned that the differences found from county to county have a lot to do with the differing history of exploitation in those regions. There's a lot of resistance in Monroe County. There's some resistance in Summers County, a little bit in Greenbrier County, and the farther north you go, Fayette County, who is big on water because of the New River and the rafting industry, and they've realized that they're at the southern edge of the coal and, and the major coal development, so they've seen what has happened. So, so, so Fayette County is some resistance. I have lots of friends in northern Lewis County, in Braxton, Harrison County, and they said that they just, they've been run over so much there that they said, there's no reason to fight it. It's, it's a worthless endeavor. A lot of people there do not own their mineral rights. The mineral rights were sold for pennies, pennies, a hundred years ago. And so people just come in and take and take and take and they have no, so, but in Monroe and Summers County, most of the mineral rights are still preserved with the land surface rights. And we have a different perspective. In West Virginia, we rank 50th out of all of the states, nine years running in the Gallup polls, Healthways Wellbeing Index. We lead the country in suicides. We lead the country in drug overdoses. We are a state of disaster. And we have legislators that pass legislation that make it appear that they're trying to rid the state of humanity, I swear. If you're just tuning in, you're catching End of the Line, an ongoing podcast about the pipeline struggles in central Appalachia, Virginia, and beyond. I'm Whitney Whiting. If they destroy the aquifer in uh, that mountain, in Peters Mountain, looks, look what effect it's going to have. He can stand there and talk about how much money they're losing because they don't get this tree cut before the 15th or, or the 31st of, of uh, March. But bull, I mean, this is where we live. This is our lives, just like that would be their lives. And it's wrong. When in the hell are we going to realize that? In 
In late June, Emily Satterwhite, a professor of Appalachian Studies at Virginia Tech, climbed on top of a Mountain Valley Pipeline excavator and stayed there for over 12 hours before police were able to extract her. Her action followed a similar lockdown a few weeks prior along the pipeline's route in West Virginia, and of course, months of tree sit blockades across four different county lines. Emily talked to me about why she thinks it's important to take actions like this. Actions that not only prevent work from happening on the pipeline, but that also create spaces in which people from different communities can meet each other and begin fighting together instead of on their own. Before the monopod went up, when we the first time we had a rally, it was sort of a way... I hadn't been over to see the tree sitters yet, had not been up the West Virginia side, and sort of a way for the Monroe County, West Virginia people who'd been supporting the tree sitters to meet up, meet halfway with um, Montgomery County and Blacksburg people and um, express our support for one another in this thing that we'd been going through independently from one another and up to that point, but then started to, to walk the journey together. I think a lot about how Capitalism teaches us a lot to focus so much on ourself and on our, indi our individual goals and like who, what, you know, like where we're going, what our plans are, what our five year, you know, where we're going to college even, you know, I think it really teaches you guys that. Like Emily, Alice is also a teacher of Appalachian Studies. She teaches young girls and queer youth about Appalachian economy and history at a program called High Rocks in West Virginia. But I think what's so special about here, and I think part of why this resistance has sprung up here, is because people value their place and community almost more than they value their own, like, individual life paths, which I think is really unique in America, at least in, like, white America. I think it's, like, really unique for people in general to, to value community that much that they're willing to, like, not accept a check from a huge company, you know? Appalachian Studies is a huge piece of who I am because of its scholar activism. And Appalachian Studies is me because I'm a scholar activist. It's a place where, you know, in a lot of disciplines, there's a kind of claim to neutrality or objectivity. And um, I think that's a mistake and where a lot of why we are where we are. I think, you know, Dr. James Hansen would probably say the same thing, that because scientists um, are not advocates, it's taken us 40 years to mobilize the knowledge of science that, that we're in desperate straits. Um, scientists want to provide the knowledge and have others do the mobilizing. In Appalachian Studies, I think we realize that the two are inextricably linked, that, that being an advocate is a way of knowing, and that having certain kinds of knowledge and expertise um, bears with it an obligation to be an advocate. Have any of your teachers talked to you about the pipeline in any of your schools? No. Wow, it's so interesting. They haven't mm -hmm. talked about it at all. I've been like, I, I'd be curious to see what people in Monroe County schools would say, though. I don't know if they would, maybe this coming year, to see. 
anybody who cares about the environment or their grandkids' environment or their great-grandkids to come's environment, man. They need to be up on this mountain. People in Montgomery County, Giles County, we need people who are willing to stand up and say, hey, this is not right, and if you're going to do it, do it the right way. They could have they not sued people. They could have went about this the right way. But the right way is expensive. The right way is safe. They're not looking to be safe. They're looking to get this thing done, pump all they can out of it, and then walk away from it. Especially if it's a disaster, an explosion. They want to get all they can right up front. MVP is not paying their share of taxes on each piece of equipment and each length of pipe, which they're supposed to do. These are all things that they have done historically up north over and over and over. They walk away from their contractual arrangements as a norm. And we've been telling our local government, we've been telling our citizens that this is what to expect with them. And, and now it's coming to fruition. They are, they're bailing on their responsibilities. It's um, different terrains, different folks, different philosophies, but it is a, it is a, it's a human struggle. It's not a pipeline fight, it's a human struggle. They're, the communities impacted are some of the poorest of the poor, especially in West Virginia. And I have a friend who has three pipelines across his small farm. He has the ACP, the MVP, and the big, huge, what's called, known as the Stonewall Gathering Line, which gathers the gas up and takes it to these pipelines. So all three of those cross his small farm. He has nothing but a custodian for pipelines. And that is very real. Once they establish a corridor, even though the Jefferson National Forest said they gave up that idea, once you establish a corridor, then that's where you go if another pipeline, and we know there's a number of them, if the gas and oil industry has their, gets their way, there's gonna be lots of these pipelines heading out of West Virginia, Pennsylvania, Ohio, a lot of them heading to the coast to get to these LNG plants. I think taking direct action with law has been pretty revolutionary this past year and even the year before this year, and I think Taking direct action with changing laws and things like that is very, it's good for the public eye, especially in West Virginia after the teacher strike. So I feel like it's um, a very important asset of the fight, but also without, you know, other forms of direct action, it wouldn't be as effective. I think the tree sitting is like an act of courage that I couldn't even, I can hardly like comprehend. And I think it's very inspiring to me. Just having that ability to leave your life and give yourself to like the the want and the need to stop this like powerful snake going through our mountains. Like that's been so inspiring. What does it really look like? when people are winning, even in the middle of like a fight, like if the fight's not over, what does winning look like in the middle of it? I think it looks like loss. Like to win, you have to sacrifice a lot of things, especially when you're fighting against the state or like extractive companies and things like that. I think it takes a lot of loss and sacrifice to eventually get to the point where you feel like 
you've sacrificed enough to win something else. I think the most important part of the teacher strike to me was like protesting with my teachers <laughs> on the side of the road. That was super cool because um, I felt like I was there for my teachers, but they, but they said like they kept reminding us how much it meant for us to be there with them. So I think that's kind of mutual aid in itself. It's been really fascinating to see how that movement and this movement are so close to each other. It, it is still about extraction, whether it's extraction of labor or extraction of resources. The teachers are anti-pipeline. Folks have bumped into them in West Virginia and talked with them and haven't even been like, oh, like, we're, you know, we're against the pipeline. For folks to be like, we're aware of how spending happens in this state and we're aware that it is the, the people who live here and call this place home that are constantly extracted from and constantly uh, left to die, I think, in a lot of situations. And with that history of extraction, of course, comes this beautiful, rich, powerful, uh, expression and in history of resistance. I've taken my stance and it has taken the same. It's kind of like that form of resistance left Appalachia and it came back home. <laughs> these roots and these rocks and this water will forever be pure. If I have to stand or sit or die here, you'll be sure that when I was a child, this is where I grew to be a man. I used to talk so much when I was quiet, I came to understand. Nothing made me happier than the fact that Monroe County, West Virginia was leading the revolution. Um, so many good people doing such good work and, and they continue to, you know, they, they continue in, in ways that aren't visible to support the, wa the water protectors. Um, I had the privilege of going to one rolling vi vigil, um, which was a Monday night ritual when the tree sitters were in the trees to drive past so that the, the tree sitters could see the lights and hear the honking horns and could flash a light back. And I was just overwhelmed by the one time I could go just thinking, you know what, no matter what happens with this pipeline, we've already won because we're here together doing this thing, just showing up for one another. And that's how we win. That is winning. More to come in the next episode of End of the Line. End of the Line is produced by Whitney Whiting. Special thanks for this episode goes to Tammy Belinsky, Emily Satterwhite, Maury Johnson, Becky Crabtree, Ashby Berkeley, and to the High Rock students in West Virginia. Music by Restroy. Find the full EP at milkfactoryproductions.bandcamp.com. Additional music by Lobo Marino. Find them on lobomarinomusic.com and find all episodes from End of the Line at pipelinepodcast.org or soundcloud.com slash pipelinepodcast.